I'm going into the office more, which sucks. Uh, but I was listening to the Adventures in Wonderland episode, and there were... I'm not even kidding. We were talking about um, Tweedledee and Tweedledum. And this week, last week, in my car, I was like, oh, wow, I did not know he worked in Louisville. And I'm like, Patricia, <laughs> you were on that podcast, honey. Like, <laughs> if nothing else, you've already learned that one time. Like, <laughs> I was concerned. I was like, okay, this is fine. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, True bro. story. That's funny. I'm going to try to get started. We'll see. I always feel a lot of pressure starting things off. I'm going to yell at you if you get wrong. So I know. Yes. I know. I know. Pressure. All the Boys to Men fans, myself included, helped the R&B supergroup get to number one with Bended Knee, which stayed there for four weeks. Dumb and Dumber is holding the top spot at the box office, putting today's topic at number three. Rude. And pogs are a full-on craze for grade schoolers across the nation. Today, we are going back to January 6th, 1995. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the Wayback Recap, a podcast that obsessively explores all things past, from our favorites in TV and film, to virtual pets. You know, gigapets, tamagotchis, nanopets, or even Digimon. These needy, palm-sized, 8-bit computer pets were all the rage in the later part of the 90s. I had a Tamagotchi. It was purple and had yellow writing. I loved it very much. I had. I was a gigabet kind of girl, so let me tell you about my gigabets. <laughs> uh, the first one that I got, I got shoplifting. It was a yellow like triangle with a kitten in it. Like That was the first one I got. I got that in D.C., uh, I feel like the statues of limitations are over on that. Where so. did you shoplift it from? I've never heard this story before. Oh, are you serious? So I shoplifted it at like uh, the mall somewhere in DC nice. on an acolyte trip uh, <laughs> <laughs> one year. Nice. <laughs> I was going through a shoplifting phase. Same. Uh, I'm we, sure it will end any yeah. day for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was the first one I got. I also had like a T Rex that was like Jurassic Cute. Park. Um, uh, my sister had the Dalmatians from 101 Dalmatians. Cute. Oh my god, there were so many that they had that were like specially branded for like the Gigapets. I remember having a fuck ton of those too, and they would die. Oh, there was an alien one. I remember. Did you ever have that one? I just had a kitty. This is I. You are living it big. I had no idea. And then Nanopets, like later versions, I guess like 2000. I don't know. They talked. They were like these big boxes, sort of that talked. Uh, Kelsey had one that was a cat, I think. I oh, remember. I love that. Um, I'm I Patricia. And I'm Brandon. And on today's episode, we are talking about a movie that's very near and dear to both Patricia and I's heart that came out in 1995. I would call it a cult favorite, however, I don't think a lot of people like it as much as we do, dude. I think maybe people just, um, I feel like it's just not known well enough. It didn't get the hype machine behind it like other movies. Well, it's going to change with this episode. Damn right. We're talking about Phil Hartman starring alongside Sinbad in House Gus. So we had a full episode on Phil Hartman uh, in our first season. I believe it was episode 12. Go back and check that out because there's a lot of great backstory on episode. Phil Hartman in that. I am going to not focus as much on Phil Hartman today 
because I felt like we did so, and I spoke very highly. And of course, I'm going to still say good words about Phil Hartman. Of course. But today, I'm going to focus on the star, in my opinion, of Houseguest. And I think that's a fact. I think top billing above the title, Sinbad, for sure. For sure. No disrespect to Phil, who we love very, very much. And do go check out that episode, because we gave him a full backup. But I'm excited to learn about Sinbad. Yeah, Sinbad's the shit. <laughs> Talking about stuff that we wanted to do for season two, and I just wanted an excuse to watch House Guest <laughs> because you were a House Guest in my house. You were the Sinbad to my Phil Hartman. I love it. Um, and I was just like, let's just watch House Guest, and I'll do an episode on it. Fuck it. It's such a great movie. We bonded over it when we were younger, no? Like, for I feel sure, like this 100%. I think House Guest is alongside the lines of like Hocus Pocus for us, and all these other movies, Wet Hot American Summer, that we were like really, really bonded over in terms of our friendship. 100%. So I think if you're looking at the house of best friends, Patricia and Brandon, the foundation is made up of several like movies, pop culture, like Brandon just mentioned, Hocus Pocus, Practical Magic. Um, we have these pillars that our friendship is based on, and one of them is House Guest. Absolutely. I don't even know how it came in a conversation, to be perfectly <laughs> honest with you. I think it was probably one of those years that we lived together and house guests just randomly came on and we both flipped our shit because that, that's typically oh, what happened. Do you know what I think it was, Brandon? Is um, Brandon had a roommate and my living situation changed and there was like, Brandon and I were going to, he was going to stop living with that roommate and he, we were going to move in together. And I think for, there was some overlap where I needed a place to stay. So I stayed with Brandon and this kind roommate to let me stay with them. And so I was literally their house guest for like a month. And I think that's when it came up. I totally forgot about this <laughs> part of our friendship. And you're absolutely right. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's so funny. And you've always been the Sinbad in the house guest situation. <laughs> It's really nice of you to say that. I don't think I told you. <laughs> I had the sort of positive effect that Sinbad has in this film on this boring family whose lives he makes way better. A hundred percent. Also, before we get too far into Sinbad, I think another reason why I especially love this movie is longtime listeners to the show will know my mom is a contrary person who hates everything. My mom loves Sinbad. She thinks oh. Sinbad is the funniest motherfucker on this goddamn planet. So when and she's H not wrong, and she's not wrong. Show me a lie. You can't find one. So I think when HBO was playing this movie every three hours, basically for two months straight, <laughs> Sue was like, oh, Sinbad, this is so funny. Put on the Sinbad movie. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so we're going to talk about that. Yes. I, all right. We're going to talk about Sinbad because I feel like he deserves his own episode. 100%. And this is going to kind of serve as that for us. So, no disrespect to Phil Hartman, love you, but Sinbad is the star of this movie. 100%. Just as you were saying, Sinbad has universal appeal to everyone. <laughs> I'm not joking to you when I say this. I love Sinbad as a kid. Me too. I remember Sinbad growing up, like he had comedy specials that came on HBO um, and other things, and that's how I was exposed to him, as well as like a different world. But Same. those is, that's where I saw Sinbad as a kid. Me too. Yeah, and so a lot of people actually were seeing a lot of Sinbad throughout the throughout the years. Before I get into like Sinbad's successful career, let me talk about who Sinbad is as a person really quickly. Just to kind of give you some backstory and why he was so universally loved by everybody. I love it. I'm so excited so, to learn. Sinbad's real name is actually David Atkins. Huh. 
Yeah. Right? <laughs> Sinbad. David Atkins. I get it. I see why you changed it. <laughs> he was born on November 10th in 1956 in Bitten Harbor, Michigan. He's one of six children, Patricia. He has Donna, Dorothy, Mark, Michael, and Donald. I'm not sure where Sinbad falls into the line, but I am one of six, so I kind of feel like I love it. probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So Sinbad's parents were his mother, Louise, and his father, Dr. Reverend Donald Beckley. Whoa. Atkins. That's a name. Not a doctor, Reverend. Mama, he was a Baptist preacher, and he he was was. apparently like a really big deal. And so so Sinbad had a typical life, like nothing really out of the ordinary. He had this pastor father, so he probably led like, I guess, assumingly a fairly chill life. Like he wasn't getting into too much trouble, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. We know a lot of PKs, but there <laughs> is like kind kids. of like a stereotype. Yeah, <laughs> in case you there's like know. a stereotype that you like act out, but I don't think a lot of them actually really do. Do you? Um, it's it's totally luck of the draw for me. Like I know one or two P- PKs who went off the fucking rails, but then I know a bunch of other PKs who are totally chill people and always have been. Okay. Where was Simbed well, from? It- Did I miss that? Where's he from? Bitten Harbor, Michigan. Michigan. Good old Midwest, right? Is that what we called Michigan? I think Michigan's Midwest. I don't want to start a fight. (laughs) (laughs) So like I was saying, he had a pretty typical high school career. He played basketball. Sinbad um, was a really good athlete. He got a scholarship to go play at the uh, University of Denver in Denver, Colorado. Whoa! He played basketball there for, I think, about like two years until he got an injury and he had to quit. Oh, that's so bad. Kind of left. Yeah, I know. It sucks because he really loved basketball. In fact, uh, he later enrolled in the military, the Air Force, where he tried out for the basketball team and didn't make it. Oh, tough. So this led him to be like kind of, in his words, um, in denial about <laughs> Like he was like, I didn't make the basketball team. I didn't believe it. So I didn't give a fuck anymore. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Sinbad would never say that. No, I Sinbad would never disperse his say. He would never say fuck. Mm-mm. Yeah. And that was just kind of like my summation of it. But he was just saying, I didn't care to be there anymore. So I just kind of like gave up. He started going AWOL numerous times. Oh, shit. Uh, but at the same, yeah, he got in trouble a lot uh, for for that. He was doing a lot of comedy on the side. Like he even did some a little bit in the Air Force by hosting the talent show as well as performing and competing. When he was stationed in downtown Wichita, he went in a lot from base to like compete and do like open mic nights and things like that. So he was like working. But he definitely hated being in a military. <laughs> Sounds terrible, yeah. After not being on the basketball team, like I said, Sinbad was like, I'm done with this shit. He eventually got discharged from the military, not for going AWOL, which you would think he did several <laughs> times, like just didn't give a fuck. He parked his car in the wrong position, he said, <laughs> and so that's when they eventually discharged him. That was the court martial, huh? It's <laughs> like, this guy just can't park. We can't have him around here anymore. <laughs> So after being kicked out of the military, Sinbad kind of was starting his stand-up career. He actually had a really, really significant stand-up career in his beginning because he starred on Star Search. Did you know this? Oh, I did not, but it makes perfect sense. So he was on Star Search and went really, really far. I think he got all the way to the finals. He, In pursuit of the finals, he beat out Dennis Miller. Holy shit. Yeah, dude. He then got to uh, the final round of the championship of Star Search, like their stand-up comedian stuff that they did. I don't know if young people who listen to this don't know what Star Search is, but it was—it wasn't a reality show. It was like America's Got Talent before America's Got Talent. 
Yeah, I would call it like the first one of those, like your American Idol. It was a talent contest that featured amateurs and up to professionals. A famous clip from uh, the episode that Beyonce uh, was in is on her self-titled album, Beyonce. I love it. I think Britney Spears was on. Britney Spears was on Star Search. Christina Aguilera. Lots of people. uh, Roseanne, I think, was on Star Search at one point. Like, a lot of people come through Star Search. Oh, yeah. That's so funny. I mean, so was Sinbad. However, (laughs) in the final round, he lost out to podcast fave, John Kasser. Do you remember who John Kasser is? I do. Uh, From Tales from the Crypt. Yeah, the voice of the Crypt Keeper. He... John Caster beat Sinbad That's to win uh, that Star Search. I don't know how Star Search. Looked. Do they have like seasons? I don't know how they work. I remember watching Star Search, but I don't remember Star Search. Same. I love that he beat Dennis Miller. I think Dennis Miller is not a funny comedian, and I love that he got beat by Sinbad. Eat shit, Dennis Miller. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of agree with that. <laughs> um, but Dennis Miller also had a Tales from a like connection too, right? Like oh, for he sure. was in and Bordello of Blood. Dennis Miller had a very good relationship with HBO, I think. Like the Dennis Miller show was on HBO, right? Oh my god, you're right. It was. Well, Sinbad wasn't no slouch though either. Like he actually got pretty successful after that. He started doing a lot more acting. He was uh cast on the re- a sh- he was cast on a short-lived Red Fox sitcom before he was eventually cast on A Different World for four seasons, playing Coach Walter Oaks. Uh, for those who don't know Different World, it's a spinoff of The Cosby Show, where yeah. Lisa Bonet, uh, Zoe Kravitz's mom, Jason Momoa's <laughs> wife, uh, she was a character on there. Ex- oh, I'm sorry. Oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do that. Yeah, all right. Um, <laughs> their relationship? <laughs> exactly. Lisa Bonet played Denise Huxtable, who was... Uh, Cliff Huxtable's second daughter. Anyway, she graduated and went off to college, very similar to how like blackish is now. To a historically black college, right? Spelman College. Well, no, no, no. Not historically. It's a fake historical black college. That's what I meant to say. Sorry, Hillman. Yeah, it's not like a real one. I loved a different world for the record. <laughs> I more got in when Jad when Jasmine Guy took over as the star. I was more there for Whitley than Lisa Bonet. I understand that. Uh, I like both of them. They're both, both biracial, great. such as myself. So Whitley, <laughs> it, very much. I feel like I'm very Whitley. I'm just gonna say it. Oh, I think that shoe definitely fits. <laughs> that was a very shady agreeance from you, Patricia. After I just proclaimed my love for her, it should not feel like a read at all. So famously, Lisa Bonet, for those of us who aren't in the know, she got fired from the show for a yeah. couple of seasons yeah. uh, for getting pregnant with Zoe Kravitz, yeah. Lenny Kravitz's baby. So Bill Cosby, upstanding gentleman as he is, that's sarcasm. <laughs> Fired her because he didn't like the idea of a teen pregnancy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, come on, Bill Cosby. Can you imagine the audacity of Bill Cosby firing someone for their personal life? <laughs> <laughs> like, how... That but is honestly, bold. Bold. <laughs> she would later come back on the show after, I guess, Zoe was, like, in preschool. I don't know. But it was just wild. Yeah, it was wild. Anyways, Sinbad was on the same show after she had left, and he played... 
like I said, Coach Walter Oaks. He was great. His main storyline is that he fell in love with uh, a woman named Jaleesa that's on the show, played by Don Lewis, who I absolutely love. Same. Black royalty. They dated for a bit and became engaged, but then they canceled their wedding. Sorry, spoiler alerts. The show's like 30 years old, <laughs> so I don't really care at this but point. But I think it's all on HBO Max. If you want to watch it, I think you should. It's all good. Like, the oh, first yeah. six seasons are it's solid. Go for it. <laughs> I know some people hate spoilers, but here it is. Here's my truth on spoilers. It's not about the ending destination. It's about the journey. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, it, if I know what's going to happen, it's whatever. It's how it's actually framed and given to me that I care totally about. Totally agree. Anyway. So Sinbad gets a lot of great acting roles on television, but he's still also doing stand-up. Sinbad is catching the eye of everyone around him, specifically Disney. Heck Disney... Yeah, dude. Disney is like, oh, this dude fits our brand. He is clean. Like, he doesn't cuss. That's, that's the biggest thing about Sinbad's comedy is that he doesn't cuss. And I think that's why it's so appealing overall to so many people, especially like your mom and other people. He is, in fact, funny. I think it is harder to be funny clean I huge than it agree. is to be kind of like a little dirty. Huge agree. Huge agree. It's so much harder. But in a time, and you know, I don't want to, but like, this was such a smart move. I hope Sinbad made this choice like for the Sinbad brand. Because in the late 80s, early 90s, you're funny, you're not white, and you bring like an interesting perspective. People are going to eat you up. Like that's a perfect brand. Like snaps all the like all the all the praise to Sinbad because that was a great decision. Yeah, dude. I do think it's a little bit, like we were saying, he's a son of a preacher. I think that yeah. he really kind of like instilled that. And the reason I say that is because once Disney kind of had their eye on him, they helped him do his first stand-up special that was televised. I believe that was on HBO in 1990. It was called Brain Damage, which was hugely successful. Huge. Which led to like several other HBO specials as well as like video release specials. I remember specifically... The ones that I loved as a kid. I'm telling you, I love Sinbad stand-up. Me as a too, kid. Me dude. and my brothers used to watch this shit and just crack the fuck up. And maybe, like, Sinbad's humor is a little bit juvenile, but I also think that his humor is appealing <laughs> overall. So he had um, Sinbad afros and bell-bottoms. I remember that one. Sinbad, son of a preacher man. That one, I think, is really, really one of his best works. That's my favorite one. We would rent it yeah, from uh, Red Giraffe. We would rent it and oh, bring it home. Bro. Like, it's all funny. He he was also hosting Showtime at the Apollo at this time. I think he did that for several seasons, at least three to four seasons that he hosted Showtime at the Apollo. He's great at all that. All while, like, he's everywhere, dude. He's got a Reebok commercial. I think he did a commercial with Polaroid as well as McDonald's. Again, Disney's taking eyes on him. They got him his first special, but then they're also like, Sinbad is really good for our brand. Really he's good. Not cussing. He's doing great. He's everywhere at this moment. Let's let's make magic happen while he's hot. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, for sure. And he's a good salesman. Like when Sinbad when Sinbad tells me that these shoes are the best shoes, I one hundred percent want to get the same shoes as Sinbad. Like, I don't oh, yeah. doubt it at all. He's like he's just a born salesman. Disney invested, and they invested a lot, in my opinion. Like, I think Sinbad's deal was really good. I don't know how it turned out for him. I'm sure he doesn't necessarily feel the same way. Disney invested in a 13-episode series to order, nice. written by the executive producers of Night Court. 
as part of this deal, he also had a pay or play movie deal option for Houseguests. Dope. Which was his first starring movie, dude. Yeah. So essentially, they're like, we're investing in Sinbad. I had to look this up. Like a pay or play deal is essentially if that movie doesn't get played for whatever production for whatever reason, he's still going to get paid yes. for it. And like if that, they also made that deal for one other movie. Like if Houseguests didn't get made, then he had another option for a movie deal for that say, same yes. pay or play, which is absolutely wild to me. But 13 episodes for a television series. Did you ever watch Sinbad's television oh, series? Because yeah. it was like oh, yeah. short-lived. It was short-lived. I enjoyed it. This is where we got Ray J, who <laughs> recently just became, like, uh, overnight on Twitter, he oh, apparently yeah, exposed trending. the Kardashians. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hot news. Uh, sex mean, tape part two it. coming soon. I also 150 million percent believe it. But, like, it, like this is where we got Ray J. Yeah, Ray J is. began his career as a little kid on the Sinbad show, which it. is absolutely fantastic. It only lasted like one season barely, and I think Sinbad had been quoted as saying he never had a TV show, and if he did, it barely lasted one season. Mm. I don't know like what the bad blood is between theirs. Probably because they didn't give him like control over it, or like I don't know. I just feel like Sinbad could have had better vehicles. But I enjoyed the Sinbad show when I watched it as a child, a youth. I think when you bring in the executive producers of Night Court. When you bring in these people who are already very well established in this specific industry, they are all going to think they know much more than Sinbad. They are all going to think that they know better than Sinbad. And unfortunately, while he was a a commodity, he didn't really have enough, um, like, industry know-how, maybe. And so I think there were going to be lots of people who were like, you know what, Sinbad, we'll take care of the script. You just go up there and tell the jokes. And... That's all me making wild allegations based on nothing. But I just have a feeling it may have been something like really that. Really good at that. <laughs> it's what I'm best at, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, but if you look at other comedians, like if we go back to Roseanne, we check out our Roseanne episode if you're interested. Um, a lot of times that's how it was with comedians. Like they just brought a comedian in to tell jokes. And they didn't want the comedian involved with the script. They didn't want them as a producer. They didn't want them to do any of that. Because then you're you're giving away your power. And these people who have the power don't want to do that. So that happens all the time with comedians. It's a real shame. It really well, is because I trust bet sometimes them. it's that's not a bad you... shame. But that's why you bought him. That's why you brought him in. Yeah. Let him be Sinbad. That's what you want, right? Is you want Sinbad? Here's Sinbad. Let him do it. Also, Sinbad was still doing movies too at this time. Like he was pretty successful going through like this Disney deal. He had a role in Necessary Roughness before all this, which is a, isn't it a Goldie Hawn movie? I've never actually seen it, but I know of Necessary Roughness. Um, Necessary Roughness, I have seen it 100 million times. You have to remember, I have all brothers who think sports movies are the best movies. Um, So it's about a football team, and he plays a football player. He's very funny in it. He's the best part of it, honestly. I think Goldie Hawn was in Wildcats. That's what you're thinking of, yeah. Uh, Necessary Roughness has Kathy Ireland is the lovely lady. Oh, Uh, she's the kicker, right? She's the kicker, yeah. I want to say Scott Bakula is the the main guy, but I get those kind of Scott Bakula types confused all the time, so it might also be Jeff Daniels. I don't know. I get them all confused. (laughs) He was also in Coneheads, also with Phil Hartman. However, they don't share... Yeah, they don't share a scene in that movie, but they are in that movie together. 
He was also a meteor man. Have you ever seen that dude? One of my yes. favorite movies from the nineties. With we Robert Townsend. Put meteor man on the list. Holy shit. Meteor I have man. not thought about Meteor Man in twenty seven years. That's wild. Wow, wow, wow. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about production on House Guests. There's not a lot of information out there. However, the what very little I found, <laughs> I found particularly interesting. The first being the producers, Joe Roth, as well as Roger Birnbaum. Roger Birnbaum has done a lot of stuff that's recognizable, but nothing of particular interest to me. This is my podcast, so I'm going <laughs> to talk about who I want to talk about. Damn so we're right. talking about Joe Roth. Joe Roth is, in my opinion, a top movie producer. I don't know. You tell me. Listen to his filmography that he's produced over the couple years and tell me if you like this shit. The first, he was an executive producer on the movie Bachelor Party, starring Tom Hanks, which was a favorite of mine as a young kid. <laughs> Don't know why, but it was good. He was also an executive producer on Revenge of the Nerds 2, Nerds okay. in Paradise. Okay. Kind of one of those sequels that surpasses the original, in my <laughs> opinion, kind of like Aliens or Scream 2. Mm-hmm, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You tell me. Young Guns, Exorcist 3, Angels in the Outfield, <laughs> A Low Down Dirty Shame, of course, House Guests, Heavyweights. Um, the, heats, the hits just keep coming. Little Man starring Marlon Wayans and Sean Wayans. <laughs> I think it's a great movie. But anyways, he had a really great career. He also did Return of Xander Cage. Um, <laughs> a lot of did Alice in Wonderland movies. I think those were Tim Burton vehicles, right? Yeah, but definitely Disney adjacent. I mean, Heavyweights was Disney. This He's done, he was like, was he the one who did Maleficent? Yes. And he's apparently doing Maleficent 3, which is in pre-production, Jeez, as well as Triple X 4 in pre-production. <laughs> I'm looking at his IMDb right now. But anyways... Joe Roth and Roger Birnbaum was a production company that got a really lucrative deal with Disney in the early 90s. Hell yeah. And that's why they had a lot of projects in work with Disney, and they had a good relationship with it, and still in the left in three. Um, so yeah, that's kind of like how it got produced by those people. Nice. Now, after like production went underway i think before they even start filming they want john candy to play the role of kevin franklin okay. the role that Sinbad eventually plays okay i could however see it. i could too right like it would be kind of like an uncle buck i can definitely see that comedy and i kind of would enjoy seeing that but i think Sinbad does a great thing I th- it's just my opinion well and but john candy had died is like uniquely Sinbad, like I think John Candy should could have done it. Sure, of course, John Candy was a legend. Um, but I kind of feel like they do the same kind of humor, but Sinbad's better. Like, the, people are going to think I don't like John Candy. That's not true. I love John Candy. Don't come at me about John Candy. Yeah. I just think that him and Sinbad... You do love John Candy. ...are sort of um, peers. So, I prefer Sinbad, but that's just me. Yeah, I do too. I would love a movie with both of them together. Exactly. I don't know. Maybe that should happen. The points mute, though, because John Candy had passed away at that point, and I think Sinbad, a rightful, I would say he was probably first choice, too. Like, realistically, they were like, let's get Sinbad. Again, this relationship with Disney that he had already really established, they were like, let's make our money. Phil Hartman was tied in in 1994, a year before the movie was released, and then they got a director. 
their director is very interesting because before this, he really hadn't done anything of note other than the movie Class Act, <laughs> which a 1992 is solid. vehicle with Kid and Play. <laughs> Yeah, which is a remake of A Prince and a Pauper, another kind of like mistaken identity yeah. story, which is yeah. really hilarious. But you've seen it. I know you've seen it because you used to come on like Showtime or HBO all the time in the 90s. It ran for like a solid three months every two days or like every two hours. I liked it very much. Class Act is a solid movie. It's funny. Uh, yeah, I, I would watch it. If it was on, I'd be like, I ain't seen this forever. Let's watch <laughs> Class Act. Shit, we may even do an episode I'm on saying, it. I'm saying, put it on the fucking list. Uh, so... Randall Miller is the director. That was his first movie he directed. He was more notable for being, <laughs> and I put quotes around that, <laughs> for being a television something, which I've never really watched, but kind of as a 30-something now, I want to watch to see where the parallels are. I yeah, think I've never seen 30-something like, either. No, dude. We should. That should be our next podcast idea, where we just watch 30-something and talk about 30-something. Hey, listeners, do you love 30-something? Do you have a favorite episode of 30-something? Send it to us. <laughs> Nobody does. <laughs> our, no one our age bracket has ever seen 30-something. Listen, we you never know. You, five, loved, you loved Wings. We all have things that we like. Maybe someone fucking loved 30-something. That is true. Look up 30-something right now. We're going to see. Were there hot dudes in that? I wasn't really watching Lifetime for real. But if there's like hot 90s dudes with beards, I'm watching it. Sure, sure. I feel like Rob Lowe was on <laughs> we should 30 talk something, about but I'm making that up. Like I have, I have that based on nothing. But I feel like thirty something Rob Lowe, they feel like they go together. This cast, maybe <laughs> there was a hot '90s beard in here. I knew it. <laughs> I love that he doesn't even get a name. You just like, oh yeah, what's up, hot '90s beard? <laughs> I think I forget what his name was. 90 or 30 something ran from September 29th to 1987 to May 28th, 1991. Oh, yeah, we, we, should, were do the, we should talk about this. That's a lot of seasons. Yeah, we should. Interesting. <laughs> okay, we'll have to follow up. <laughs> Stay tuned, listeners, for our second podcast we're coming out that's exclusively about 30 something. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be called 30 something what? Um, <laughs> I was thinking 30-something-ish. Huh. I like that. Let, we'll come up with... <laughs> Let's focus on this podcast and make it the best it could be before we dump it and go to a whole new vehicle. Oh, shit. So, Randall Miller directed that, an episode of 30-something, an episode of Parker Lewis Can't Lose, which I remember vaguely like watching that. I also... It, I it also it rings a bell. Me of Remember the dude who played teenage Dan in an episode of a uh, Halloween episode of Roseanne played like a bully on Parker Lures Can't Lose, that dude? That actor was on a lot. Like, um, we should look him up because that kid acted a yeah. That kid worked. He really did. I hope he's doing well. I, I hope he's too. a good person. Then he also did an episode, not an episode, but the episode, the very first episode of Salute Your Shorts, the pilot. Which is cool because we'll I love Salute Your Shorts. Later, see like a connection between that. Yeah, me too, dude. A camp show. We should do that the our next premiere. Oh, That's we when should. You guys want to camp stuff? Yes. But he directed the pilot episode of that, and you'll see a casting choice from the original Salute Your Shorts play out in this movie today. Oh, nice. Anyways, that was his work before he got to House Guests. Once he got House Guests, he did a couple other things. One of the things he did of note, I want to talk about. Yeah. 
It is listed on his Wikipedia page as the Midnight Rider Manslaughter Conviction. Damn. I'm going to read that directly to you because I don't want to leave out any important details. So forgive me for sounding like a robot for the next three minutes. <laughs> In 2014, on the first day of production of Midnight Rider, camera assistant Sarah Jones was killed during the filming of a scene. The film was never completed. A police investigation in the town of Jessup, Georgia, concluded that Miller, our director, and his crew were trespassing on an operating railway line and that the train was unscheduled. That is very strange. They were trespassing and this train was unscheduled. So a lot of weird things had to come together for this to coalesce. Yeah. Charges for criminal trespassing and involuntary manslaughter were eventually brought against Miller. His wife, who is producer Jody Savine and producer UPM, Jay Sedrish. Also, the first assistant director, Hillary Schwartz, were, were all convicted on these charges. Damn. On March 9th, 2015, Miller agreed to a plea deal in exchange for having charges dropped against his wife. He was sentenced for 10 years. The first two were going to be served in jail, followed by probation along with a $20,000 fine and 360 hours of community service. Cedric and Schwartz were sentenced to 10 years of probation. So the terms of Miller's probation stipulated that he would be prohibited from serving as director, first assistant director, or supervisor with responsibility for safety on any film production I until his sentence I should fucking hope complete. so. Yeah. Prepare to be enraged, bro. Cedric and Schwartz had similar conditions as that but I don't think as harsh as Miller's this was like historical because this was the first conviction against like a director who has been sentenced to prison for death of a cast or crew member which is wild that multiple directors have been accused of this by the way just says or a lot follow that he's up the first that get... none of them have have had any punishment that they were all just like oh well you know no. helicopters crash all the time <laughs> like oh okay mama it's wild there's more to the story. Miller was then released from jail on March 23rd, 2016, for slightly serving more than a year owing to a two-for-one deal made during negotiations for the original plea agreement he made with a Georgia assistant district attorney. He was able to do that because the original sentence was deemed improper for whatever reasons. Sarah Jones's father, Richard Jones, said in his statement to court when... Sarah's mother, Elizabeth, and I agreed to this plea. It was our understanding that he'd be serving two years in jail. If we, like he and his wife, understood that it had been one year, we would not have agreed. Right. We would not agreed. He stated, I want to be clear that we don't want to inflict, we don't mean to inflict more pain to Miller's family. We understand that. It's been quite a lot of pain for our, their family, but this is, in our view, about a bigger purpose. It's about making the film industry a better, safer, for space so mr jones really wanted to hit home that he wasn't looking to just punish mr miller out of spite or anything like that he made a point to be known that like the reason why he thought it was very important for mr miller to serve his full sentence because it set a precedent for the movie industry that they had to take safety seriously like it, it isn't a joke like you can't just go on after losing several lot or losing someone's life and several people being hurt and just go on like nothing happened. Like right. there has to be consequences for that. And I think that's very important. And it was like a landmark case in my opinion and probably legal experts opinions on film industry safety. Absolutely. 
Eventually, Sarah's family was paid $11.2 million in civil damages. However, that was split up based on the jury's decision to find CSX primarily liable, uh, the train operator. Uh, so that person, or their insurance, I'm assuming, had mm-hmm. to pay 35% of the total judgment. Miller was responsible for 28% of that amount, and the other 18% was divvied up by the land's owners where the accident occurred, which is very interesting. But I wasn't on the jury. I don't know what information was handed <laughs> out. Yeah. I think so, that's bullshit, personally. I don't think a film crew has any purpose being on a railroad track that's an active railroad track. That's just my opinion. Mama. <laughs> Mama. It's corn! Okay. <laughs> Instead of corn, I'm going to have weed. Um, <laughs> it is how I feel. <laughs> so in 2019, Miller was found to be directing a, a movie entitled Higher Grounds in Serbia, London, and Colombia. This was all during his probation period. So Sarah Jones' family immediately contacted the Georgia District Attorney's Office and was like, yeah, he directed again against his probation. Miller and his attorneys argued of the probation period was that as long as he was not in charge of the safety, he could still direct films. So in this case, for Higher Grounds, he was not in charge of safety compliance. The first assistant director was. The district attorney of Georgia was like, that's bullshit. <laughs> like, you know better. But, I mean, good lawyers to kind of, like, find, yeah. like, the semantics in that, but also a douchebag thing, in my opinion, because yeah. it's like, dude, you killed somebody. Like, your decisions killed somebody. Directly resulted um, in the death of somebody. Furthermore, sir, I think it's any bullshit argument that you didn't know, I don't believe you, because you purposely shot this movie outside of the United States. You were purposely trying to hide this because you full knew you were in violation of your probation. Nice try, asshole. Yeah, mama. I agree on that. So, they went to court talking about, like, was he actually in violation (laughs) of his probation? The judge ruled that Miller had not knowingly broken his probation, but said that the agreement should be understood to forbid him from directing any more films for the duration of his sentence. I'm full of yeah. rage. I'm full of rage. They shook their finger yeah, at him. They said, don't you do it again. <laughs> Mama. I mean, and that wasn't even the first time he like pulled stunts. Like a few days after the initial accident that happened in 2014, he was trying to film again, like <laughs> resume filming, like nothing happened. Like, and that's wow. It's wild. Wow. I'm looking at his, he was an actor in Don't, or excuse me, Throw Mama from the Train. He played Bucky. I haven't seen Throw Mama from the Train in years, so I can't me tell you either. anything about that. That's wild. Super wild. Well, just to kind of break some tension from like that intensity of that trial, we're here to celebrate Sinbad and the movie House Guys. So I think this is a good time to take a commercial break before we come back and watch some TV. Yes. Oh, I, I'm going to turn the movie on. Yeah, yeah, bruh. Finally. <laughs> I always forget to follow along. We meet Kevin Franklin, played by Sinbad, who is a inner-city Pittsburgh native being raised in an orphanage. He's on a field trip with his best friend, Larry, who's being <laughs> held upside down 
by Kevin Franklin <laughs> in a fountain collecting coins. When their nun, I guess from the orphanage uh, that they go to, runs up, scolds them, and gives them a history lesson on... Yeah, that's not Lori Metcalf, bro. Okay, I will take it back. I for sure thought that was Lori Metcalf. Yeah, no offense. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, I didn't actually look, but I'm just looking at her on TV right now. I feel like I would have noticed... She just sounds just like her, even. Yeah, Sister Mary Winters is played by Valerie Long. Valerie Long, if you're listening to the show, do you constantly get mistaken for Lori Metcalf? Because you sound just like Lori Metcalf. Patricia is white woman racist. She thinks they all look alike. That's a fact. (laughs) (laughs) 25 years later, we meet Kevin again. He's talking to himself as he's driving his car. We get this highlight reel of Kevin's fantasy life. Um, of all of his different accomplishments. I think he's like winning a Nobel Peace Prize and a bunch, an Oscar. He's a star athlete. He won the Heisman all in his head. In reality, he's driving a rusted MG midget and he's constantly coming up with get rich quick schemes. His current scheme is about baseball cards. We learned this because his friend Larry, you know, the nerd he was holding in the fountain, <laughs> has grown up and owns a tattoo shop below Kevin. Larry's bringing up a gigantic box of God knows what when Kevin opens it to reveal baseball cards because he believes that if someone gets hurt, they're worth more money and people spend a lot of money on baseball cards. Very interesting um, investment, but so, I don't invest. So I, don't I don't know anything about this. However, my big brother Josh, shout out to my big brother Josh, he does collect cards and it is a wild, wild market. Like, certain cards go for a certain thing, but only in a certain condition. Like, if you have the cards, you can make a lot of money with it. But I think just, okay. like, buying boxes and boxes and boxes of of baseball cards is not a great way to do that. Yeah. Uh, just saying, Kevin. Larry's annoyed because he's like, Kevin, <laughs> this is just ridiculous. Stop involving me in your schemes. I feel like Larry's probably led a life. Because I think they're about 35, quote unquote. Because yeah. that's revealed is like he's 35 at this point he's like i'm tired of these schemes which somehow triggers in kevin's memory that he is late for (laughs) dinner with his girlfriend and her boss so he rushes out to dinner he had already bought mcdonald's for him to eat this sounds like something i would do by the way to eat (laughs) mcdonald's or something before i go out to dinner with friends i think mcdonald's had to have been a sponsor of this movie because sinbad already had a relationship with mcdonald's before this movie and then McDonald's is featured heavily in this film. There's information about that. I'll talk about yeah. that a little later. Um, so he rushes to the restaurant where his girlfriend Lynn is leaving with her boss because dinner's over and she is annoyed. Kevin is apologizing profusely to her. She's obviously embarrassed and angry for Kevin standing her up, so she punches Kevin in the stomach after he gives, like, a lame, unbelievable excuse. (laughs) Kevin chases her down while they're in the street, and, like, they talk about it, and she's like, Kevin, money isn't everything. Like, you can't keep just hanging your hat on money because, like, you're 35, it hasn't happened yet, I like you for you for being a good person. And then he says something stupid and she drives off. And that's the last we see of Lynn. Lynn's yeah. never seen in the movie again. Lynn has I'm had sorry. it. We're back at home and Kevin um, is watching TV. Boomerangs on. on. <laughs> nice. Uh, he, 
Eddie Murphy gets slapped by Halle Berry, which then triggers him changing the channel to other movies and TV shows and cartoons where someone's getting slapped because that's what happened to him with Lynn and he's <laughs> being triggered. When two men burst through the fucking door, we get our mobsters, Polly, played by Paul Ben Victor. This dude is a character actor. Like I feel like everyone has seen him in something before. Sure. He was in The Wire, True Detective. I think he gets typecast a lot in a lot of things that he does because he does look like a typical mobster. Mm -hmm. He was in several order, uh, episodes of Law & Order SVU as Counselor Pete Abrams. Um, Will and Grace, he was in um, Lethal Weapon, the TV series. Oh, Did nice. you watch that? I have not. Okay. Yeah, he's he consistently works. Like, you've seen him in a lot of stuff. And, oh, God, yeah, he was in Bushwhacked. Oh, my gosh. Bushwhacked. Jeez, I haven't thought of that movie in 20 years. Yeah, who would have thought... What's his name? It's not Daniel Craig, but Daniel Roth? Bushwhacked? Yeah. Wasn't that Stern? Wasn't that Daniel, Daniel Stern? Stern. Thank Daniel you. Stern, yeah. Thank you. I was trying to figure out which Daniel it was. <laughs> um, but Daniel Stern as a leading actor in that movie. Like, who was like, yeah, Daniel Stern's a leading man. It's wild how... I always think of that movie and then Cabin Boy. I think of them together. Cabin Boy starring Chris Elliott. It's the same oh, kind God, of thing. Oh, God, I love Cabin Boy. We, I, I loved Cabin Boy and it's Bushwhacked. An, it's another one of these movies that HBO just showed on a loop. And I was like, oh, yeah, I've seen Cabin Boy 70 million times. Me and my me and my aunt used to watch that movie and thought it was fucking hysterical. <laughs> like, that was like a core member of me mm -hmm. as a kid with my aunt. Um, also, I find it funny that you find... Cabin Boy and Bushwhacked in the same vein. I feel like Bushwhacked and Man of the House were pretty much the same movie. Like, oh, I those don't even come at me with Man of the House. I loved Man of the House. It had Jonathan Taylor Thomas in it, who I loved very, very much. And Double Whammy has Chevy Chase in it, who my mom hates. So I get to watch yeah. something that actively annoys my mom and has my dream boyfriend in it. Come on. Your dream boyfriend. I appreciate that. <laughs> Uh, so, Polly bursts in alongside his kid baby brother, Joey, who is played by veteran, like, character actor, I should say, Tony Longo. Tony Longo has also been in a lot of stuff as, like, a big brutish type of, like, typecasting of a mobster sidekick. So, Tony Longo was in one of my favorite cartoons in the world, or voiced one of my favorite cartoons in the world. Pound Puppies, The Legend of Big Paw. He played a cartoon version of himself, essentially, like the it. main thuggish brute. Um, but Tony Longo, like, not to lessen like his talent as an actor, when he was younger, was super hot. Like, oh, hang on now, he was I a very Google handsome it. man. Oh, he recently passed away. Oh, R.I.P. Tony Longo. Whoa, That's he was so handsome as a young man. He played a lot of sports. Wow. Yeah, and like his, if you look at his IMDb, he was in every fucking thing. Like he, he worked. He really Perfect did. He was also in uh, aliens or in aliens in the outfield, angels in the outfield. <laughs> so Joe Roth kept hiring him. That's cool. That's really that's amazing. Oh my god, he was in that movie. I, I have to revisit Angels in the Outfield. I remember vividly going to see that one summer in Florida with me, my dad, and my brother Marcus in theaters. I love that. I saw it at the um, drive-in. Oh no, wait, no. Now, <laughs> now I'm embarrassed because that wasn't that movie. It was uh, the other baseball movie where rookie the kid, of the year. 
rookie of the year that yeah. was because we laughed at funky butt loving for like Which 15 minutes still makes me laugh just for the record still funny so <laughs> our mobsters <laughs> burst in i am so sidetracked with this movie i'm sorry <laughs> and they're looking for their money that's right kevin owes the mob five thousand dollars from a handshake loan that has accrued taxes penalty well not Interest. taxes let me rephrase that interests and penalties uh, upwards to $50,000. That's how much he owes the mob. Uh, here's a little disclaimer from Cool Aunt Patricia. Do not borrow money from the mob. Never borrow money from anyone based on a quote-unquote handshake agreement. Don't do that. Write things mob. down, guys. Even, yeah. But also, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't take money from the mob. Kevin tells him he's going to get the money and... After a little bit of convincing, the mobsters allow him one more day to have the money, under the condition that he doesn't skip town. Quick cut to Kevin skipping, <laughs> skipping town, town at the airport. <laughs> Which, yes, girl, that's exactly what you do. Uh, he also is, like, in the airport with no luggage, but he has his quote-unquote hamster shaft in his, his little plastic cage that he's walking with and on their way to the Bahamas when they're stopped by Tony and Polly. I want to, I put quote unquote around this hamster because that is a guinea pig. I yeah. had a guinea pig growing up. That is a guinea pig. Yeah, they're but, totally different creatures actually. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like why not get a hamster if you wanted to be a hamster or say guinea pig or is it like a character? I'm thinking too much into this. Or is it, it like a, it's, a, it's like a bit like, he purposely calls it a hamster, knowing full well that it is indeed a guinea pig. I believe that. Yeah, I do too. Polly and Joey catch Kevin at the airport. Um, and then they are escorting him back to, I guess, his death. I don't know. They're taking <laughs> him back to a car or trying to. When Kevin is, like, looking for any way to get out of this, when he spots a group of women, black women, who are walking in the airport with matching t-shirts on, and... He uses his quick 90s brain. He's like, Denzel! Denzel Washington! It's in the airport! Which sends everyone into a frenzy. Like, people are Rightfully screaming for Denzel. So. Yeah. Uh, peak Denzel. Actually, I shouldn't even say that. Denzel's always at his peak. Fuck 100 that. 100 million percent. Um, Kevin then runs away from the mobsters, <laughs> smartly. Yeah. Like, yes, use this distraction that you created and try to get away. Smart. Kevin gets pretty far, but the mobsters are still behind him. He's like, I need to create more time. And we're going to see, this is a thing that Kevin does. <laughs> he decides to cause another scene by heavy, heavy-heartedly telling Shaft, this is the end of the road for us, buddy. I always said it was going to be me or you, and today it's you. So he takes Shaft, his guinea pig, out and screams, rat, rat, <laughs> causing more chaos, which is... God, Kevin Franklin is the funniest person in the world because one, his go-to is to cause a scene to get <laughs> which is out also of Brandon's go-to. <laughs> it's brilliant. Cause chaos. Run from that. Um, but yelling "rat" somewhere where a rat should be is really funny. One hundred percent. For those of us who are worried, a beautiful young little girl rescues the hamster, and all is safe. Yeah. Yeah, she takes the hamster with her. I'm sure her parents are like, where the fuck did you get that? But <laughs> Oh, I found it at the airport. <laughs> <laughs> I think with this movie, we're, 
we're falling into a trend of other movies we love where within this first 10 minutes of the movie we have we already know what this movie's about like it's about kevin it's about his shenanigans and it only works because sinbad is wildly charming and dynamic and funny he's like he takes a you're in a crowded airport the whole time but you're watching sinbad the whole time like he's that captivating and charming like this movie hangs on Sinbad, and this is coming from a person who f- adores Phil Hartman, but this movie is hanging on Sinbad, and it's because of Sinbad that it's great. Yeah, I agree with you on that. A hundred percent. Like, Sinbad is just really fucking hilarious in this movie. Really funny. I can't tell you how hard I used to laugh at the rat bit when I was a kid. <laughs> that got me. Uh, got me. So, as the distraction worked, once again... Kevin overhears a conversation between lawyer Gary Young, played by Phil Hartman, and his children, Jason, who is played by Chauncey Leopardi, who is a famous child actor. You may know him as Squints from The Sandlot. Yeah. He did a lot of stuff in the 90s. Kid and probably working. more than that. But he was working. Bro was working. And Sarah, his daughter, played by Talia Sater, who I don't think had a lot of acting experience before or after this, but yeah. She does a good job um, in this movie. She's cute, and she she has some good lines. She kills it. Yeah. So Franklin overhears this conversation while they're waiting to pick up his childhood friend, Derek Bond, who is now a successful straight-laced and vegetarian dentist. Upon hearing that Gary hasn't seen Derek in over 25 years, so he doesn't know what he looks like, Kevin then takes that opportunity to... I guess con Gary and his children into thinking that he's Derek Bond. Yep. Like he's like, dude, I haven't seen you forever. What's going on? <laughs> uh. And they're heading out to the airport on the way for Kevin to get to safety when, uh, I was going to say Phil Hartman, when Gary's <laughs> like, don't you have a bag? Kevin grabs a random bag off the conveyor <laughs> and they leave, which is a great bit later on. But then as they're leaving, Gary is like, why are they saying my name on the intercom? And Kevin's like, oh, that was me. Let's just ignore it and leave. And Gary's like, no, 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 let's take care of it. We don't, I don't want them to be worried. And so Kevin's like, no, I'll do it. I'll handle it. You just go to the car, go to the car. When Kevin encounters the real Derek, who's the one paging um, Gary, for those of us who are of a certain age, I'm sure you don't know what paging is, but that's, (laughs) I guess how you did it. Or with a pager. Because cell phones weren't around then in 1995, nope. for real. I mean, they were, but they weren't, like, in everyone's hands. Kevin Franklin definitely didn't have one. Kevin Franklin didn't have one. <laughs> um, Kevin convinces Derek that he is Gary's assistant and that everything that they he's here for is canceled. He's got to go home. Kevin's wife, Emily, has botulism. And if you call the house, her head's going to explode. She's going to start throwing up. Like this, Like, this is crazy shit. Derek is sort of relieved. He's like, I didn't really want to do this. And you kind of get a glimpse into Derek being kind of an asshole. And Kevin's like, yeah, man, get out of here. You have a good one. But put on this <laughs> baseball hat, which Derek doesn't want to do because he doesn't wear baseball hats. He's not the hat type dude. But Kevin convinces him for Emily's sake so she doesn't die of botulism. And they go their separate ways. When the mobsters beat up Derek, who is disguised <laughs> as Kevin, and Kevin runs his ass to the car where (laughs) Gary and his children are trying to evade the mob. (laughs) Gary refuses to drive the car because Jason won't put on a seatbelt and he's also taking Sarah's seatbelt. So 
Phil Hartman, excuse me, Gary is doing like fathering things, trying to get the kids <laughs> to play, but the kids are ignoring them. And Kevin, anxious to get the fuck out of there before the mob gets him, yells at the kid <laughs> and runs to the other side of the car, pushes Phil Hartman into the passenger seat and begins to drive erratically out of there. Literally. He skirts up out of there. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> while the mobsters get their car ter- uh, towed, which is really funny. But also, if you hadn't seen somebody in 25 years and they pushed you to the side and then drove erratically out of the airport, what would you think about that? First of all, number one, that's a problem. Number two, Kevin is manic. Like, he's like, he is obviously lying. <laughs> like, to fall for this charade <laughs> is like, what are we doing? Like, this is clearly a person who just needs to get out of the airport. And I'd be like, hey, you don't have to lie. I'll help you leave the airport. <laughs> like, it's okay. <laughs> Calm down. Deep breath. <laughs> but it's wild. You're a good friend to help. As they're driving away from the airport or the scene of the crime, <laughs> Kevin's in the car making up outlandish stories to Gary about his life that he's just making up on the spot. And <laughs> Gary's trying to reminisce with Kevin about their old times at summer camp. <laughs> Where they became friends originally, another camp movie. Love it. Um, and then begins to sing a song called Goodnight Irene that Kevin obviously doesn't know the yeah. lyrics to and is just mimicking everything that Gary is doing. Uh, I appreciate this because they added Dairy Queen in the lyrics to this. And I love Dairy Queen. <laughs> it's so silly because Kevin is like trying. So Gary is giving Kevin like little tidbits about Derek. And so Kevin's trying to fill in the blank and like think on his feet, but he always has the most outlandish answer. Like it's always the, he's like, oh my God, I just lost my wife. And Gary's like, what? I just talked to her yesterday. And Kevin's <laughs> like, yeah, she died. She died last night. <laughs> like It's always the most extreme situation. Kevin realizes that he's actually been roped into going to Gary's oldest daughter's school for a career day conversation. Yeah, that teacher. Everybody probably had a teacher like that who sucked. For sure. To get out asking, to get out of someone asking more questions, this is when Kevin again does what he does best and causes pandemonium, chaos, and destruction by announcing that there were Pearl Jam tickets <laughs> under their, or in each one of his books, causing the students to go into a frenzy. It works. He did it yeah. three times so far. It's worked every single time. Yeah. If anything I learned from this movie is if I don't want to do something, cause a scene <laughs> and gary is just going right along with it like nothing about this seems weird to gary <laughs> gary's just smiling he's like thank you so much for coming man <laughs> like gary is just the most laid-back cool dude <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> i love it as they're leaving the auditorium gary introduces kevin to his daughter brooke who's played by kim murphy this is his eldest daughter she's very goth and dark and then she has a boyfriend who i forgive me I don't think they would have been together in real life. Like her being a goth and then him being like a wannabe rapper type. Like, yeah, it playing does not, the role of white black man. It does not work. I mean, I don't know. I'm not from this town, so I don't know what the <laughs> options, the pickings were. But this is her boyfriend, Steve, played by Kevin Jordan. But he wants you to refer to him as S3. Excuse me. ST3. I. No. And I won't. Absolutely not. Steve. Absolutely not, Steve. Uh, Please sit down. Baby Steve. Steve is the worst. And Kevin's Steve. not impressed, rightfully. Um, one of my favorite lines in this part is like, he, as Steve is walking away, Kevin goes, You stay tan now. <laughs> as the kids <laughs> drive really off. It's really funny. It's really funny. 
we find out that Steve's a senator's son, like a state senator's son, uh, so he's... Uh, checks out. Privileged, to say the least. And, uh, douche. <laughs> now, at the young family house, we meet family Rottweiler Carl, who Kevin's rightfully afraid of because this dog's huge, and they're walking on the porch when Kevin's veneer cracks just a bit because he almost falls and breaks his neck on Jason's <laughs> skateboard, which is on the porch. Um, I feel like, yeah, I would be mad too. Bitch, put your skateboard up. It almost killed me. I would be furious. Um, I had a terrible habit of leaving my rollerblades in the front yard, and it would <laughs> fill my mother with rage. So much so that one time she, like, uh, she, the straw broke her back. She took my rollerblades and gave them away. Donated wow. them. Wow, good parenting. Good yeah, parenting. way harsh. Way harsh, too. <laughs> <laughs> And this is Patricia's villain origin story. <laughs> so we're inside their house, and we realize that a chaotic party is being prepped for the evening. I guess this is in honor of Kevin coming to visit after 25 years, which is super weird. But they're having this super huge party, and we meet Gary's wife, who's very busy. She's very a corporate busy. mom. Uh, Emily, she's pe- played by Kim Greist. Uh, Kevin goes to his room where we learn Jason's a terrible basketball player from outside. <laughs> um, his dad doesn't even want to practice with him because he's always busy. Like, busy dad. Kevin is very excited about his new digs as well. He's like, damn, this is nice. This is a nice and house. this, like, floral... Oh, my God. It was like a 90s floral explosion of diarrhea on the walls everywhere. It was like flowers, pink, Yeah, it was red, like Laura Ashley threw up. <laughs> Laura Ashley... <laughs> This is when we're interrupted by Sarah, the youngest daughter, holding towels to give to Kevin. Kevin uses this opportunity to talk to Sarah, who initially asks him about teaching her French. And he's like, what else do you know about me? Which is kind of smart. Like, really you know what smart. I mean? Like, Sarah's going to spill the beans. She knows everything that's going on in that goddamn house. Because no like, one pays attention to the little kids, and they're listening. But here's the thing. Caveat, that means she's going to tell your secrets. So you got to be careful. We'll get to it. Yeah, you got to be careful. We'll get to it. Kevin gets the dirt from Sarah. He's like, what did your dad tell you? He tells him that he is from Baltimore. He met at them at summer camp. And Kevin's like, aha, what did I do for a living? <laughs> when mom interrupts and he's like, Sarah, leave Kevin alone. Come downstairs. Kevin doesn't get his answer. And he's left <laughs> really, really nervous about what the fuck do I do for a living? I don't know. Like, how do I make this up? Gary comes in to Kevin's room after Sarah walks out and lets him know that they're really happy to have him as a house guest, but he should be getting ready for dinner. So Kevin opens the bag that he stole from the conveyor belt to to reveal a black tuxedo, but from a funeral home. It's embroidered with GFH on it. And he's like, holy shit, I did this. And... Hilarity ensues. We see Kevin heading down to the party and Brooke sneaking in her boyfriend, Steve, after her mom has grounded her. And Steve gives a gross wink to Kevin as he runs to Brooke's room. Gross. Hated so it. gross. Steve, you suck. <laughs> so we get to the party and Kevin's pretty charming. He's mingling with the guests. He's making everybody have a good time. He's talking. Uh, people ask him what the acronym GFH stands for. And he's just making up based off the person. Uh, I think he talked to a priest and he said it was godliness, faithfulness, and holiness or something like that. Literally. And he started doing like a, oh my God. The whole montage, you see Sinbad just like riffing all these different things it could stand for. And it's every single one of them is so funny. 
I feel like that had to be um, improv. I feel like they turned the camera on and said, hey, Sinbad, give us all of them. And they and he just ripped. And it was great. That's a really great scene. It's really funny. We then meet Ron Timmerman, a colleague played by Jeffrey Jones. I'm not going to go into Jeffrey Jones because Jeffrey Jones has some a lot of gross baggage. Yes. Do you know who Jeffrey Jones is, Patricia? Yes, he is an actor. He's been in a lot of things. Beetlejuice, um, a lot of Tim Burton. He played the dad. Fact. Yeah. Yeah. He, um, he played in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yep, as the as principal. principal, right? Mm-hmm. Lots of 80s movies. He was doing a lot of shit. Shit, he played in Sleepy Hollow, too. Oh, I yeah. I about that. Oh, yeah. Let we us don't know. talk about him anymore. Let us know if you want a mini episode on Jeffrey Jones. We'd be happy to do that. Anyways, we meet his character, and then we meet a couple other house guests who are, like, talking to <laughs> Evan, who is known to them as Derek, and they're asking his professional advice, and Kevin has no idea what the fuck they're talking about. He's like, whatever, and he's like, how about my wife? Doesn't she look great? And then she smiles, and Kevin's like, whoa, yikes, and walks off. We later learn from Kevin's eavesdropping of Gary and Gary's friend that Kevin, who is playing... Derek tonight is actually a very successful dentist. Ah. Kevin's elated. I don't have to worry about this anymore. I am a dentist. I can fake that. When we flash forward inside the party, Gary is introducing everyone to Kevin who is a renowned wine aficionado. I don't know if he's a sommelier or not, but he's asking Kevin, who is playing Derek, to taste the wine, to give some tasting notes so everyone can enjoy. And Kevin has no idea about wine tasting notes so he's just like here's some white wine some dark wine for some light and dark people and they laugh he's just like cracking jokes trying to get out of it when he's trying to like get everybody just to drink and have fun he's like don't worry about that yeah uh when a very very peculiar wine critic from the newspaper decides that he's going to critique kevin's techniques of wine testing and begins to taste test for himself and describes the type of wines that like, which has very much connotations of like a beautiful woman. There's lots of descriptions oh. of legginess, which is a description of wine. Yeah. Uh, but he's also like full bodied and all this. And then Kevin <laughs> uses that. He's like, "Sounds like you need a woman." And everybody cracks up. Everybody laughs at this dude, which is so funny because it's like that's the perfect way to handle the situation. 100%. And Kevin makes another joke and then passes out wine, which leads to an epic fucking party at the young household. We get this montage to everyone dancing around to the Commodore's brick house. And it looks like everybody got wasted, especially the dog. The dog was wasted. <laughs> After the party, we have a scene with Gary and Emily in bed. And we learn that they kind of have a strained relationship. Gary's trying to talk to Emily. Emily is 100% reading something and not really paying attention. And then she mentions something about Derek, quote-unquote, who is actually Kevin, being more (laughs) secure in himself, which then leads, like, to kind of a passive-aggressive argument between Gary and Emily. Weird. Don't care. (laughs) But I guess it gives us some backstory on their relationship that we need for future events. So can I just make a comment on Emily, the character of Emily? Yeah, go ahead, please. So, this is the person, Gary's wife. So, like, Phil Hartman's character's wife. So, first of all, she's an entrepreneur. She's opening a bunch of yogurt shops, which I don't really have an opinion 35. 35. That's a heat, like, 
This woman is a hashtag girl boss, and she's very, very busy. <laughs> and Gary is clearly very res- like resentful of that. But I'm getting ahead of myself. The point I wanted to make is, I feel like every sh- I know you didn't watch Breaking Bad, Brandon, but for listeners, she gives me total Skylar White vibes. Like she's the bitchy too busy, full of herself wife, like she's cold, she's not involved with anyone. It's just a super misogynistic take, and I hate it. Mm, I like that. I I, (laughs) I didn't think too much of it. You know, I'm glad you're here on this podcast to kind of look a little deeper into the characterizations of folks. That's a really nice way of you saying, Patricia, you're looking too hard at this situation. Take a seat, let it go. (laughs) I don't think that at all. I think that, I mean, I do think that like every movie's deserves a lens to be looked at like that and i do agree with you like they could have done better with emily on here yeah that's all i'm saying we then get larry back at his tattoo shop tattooing a biker when the two mobsters joey and nikki burst in and hit the biker with the chair i guess to show dominance because he was like talking shit and that really (laughs) sets the scene that these guys mean business that they're beating up bikers and stuff i guess they have Larry when all of a sudden Kevin calls, oh, which no. couldn't be worse or perfect timing. Larry's a good friend and doesn't initially reveal who the fuck he's talking to. He's talking in code like this is his mother, or at least that's what he's telling the mobsters. And he's trying his best not to reveal like <laughs> anything to them as he's talking to Kevin, and Kevin's giving him like the lowdown of what's going on, where he's at, and all this other stuff. Finally, the mobsters kind of catch on when Larry has a slip-up, but then they pick up the phone and start talking and Sinbad <laughs> pretends to be Larry's mother, which is a really funny scene. Uh, I'm just telling you, man. Good job, Sinbad. <laughs> After they hang up, the mobsters get real and pull guns out on Larry. Larry immediately oh, spills no. the beans Good where call. Sinbad is. That's or, the me, line. Kevin. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> the second you get your guns out, I'm spilling the beans. <laughs> like, oh, I'll, this is his address. This is his cell phone number. This is who he's with. <laughs> Yeah, he gave everything, no hesitation. And Sinbad, as this all's happening, he's going to bed. He's like, yeah, man, I can trust Larry. Larry's a stand-up guy. And then immediately he wakes up the next morning, and he's like, Larry is neurotic. He's a coward. He definitely told, I need to get the fuck out of here. And that says a lot about how they know each other. You know 100%. what I mean? 100%. Kevin's like, I got to get out of here. He begins to take off running. Uh, to try to get out the window when he's interrupted by the young family inviting him down for breakfast. They give Kevin a present of some new sneakers. However, it's because Gary already took it upon himself to sign up Kevin for a 5K at Sarah's school. No. No. Yeah. Don't do that. He says that it's because he's the best athlete he's ever met at summer (laughs) camp and stuff like that. He was great at basketball, which piques Jason's interest. Jason's like, I want to learn basketball. But then Gary and Kevin head to the country club to play golf. Or they thought they were about to. (laughs) When he informs his wife, Emily, that he's like leaving, they get in a fight. Because Emily's like, I got to go to work. You took off, so you're going to stay here and take care of the kids. And Kevin or uh, Gary's like, I got to go play golf with my boss. Sorry, got to go. To go play golf. I am so, I am a forever alone person, but this understanding that husbands slash fathers can just take eight straight hours to go golf, okay, cool, then I'm taking eight hours at TJ Maxx. 
Like, <laughs> if that's the rule where we can just do whatever the fuck we want for eight hours and totally negate all of our other responsibilities, absolutely not. Furthermore, Brandon, if you came to visit me and I said, hey, Brandon, we're going to go do this activity with my boss. No, I don't want to do that. <laughs> Don't bring your boss into this you. friendship. First of all, he tried to hire you, so I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it would be a house guest situation with me, like, joining your office culture. We would just, we would 100% think of the most extravagant lies we could possibly think of. Actually, it'd be a better situation. What is that movie with Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy? Oh, sh- Not Trading Places. No, Danny... It is trading places. Is I it? think it is. Yeah. Yes. I feel like that'd be more of a... Yeah, I hear that. Same movie, but different, I guess. <laughs> Kevin begins to feel kind of guilty, like, listening <laughs> to them argue over about, like, uh, just kind of, like, random house stuff. So he comes back in from being outside and apologizes before he tries to sneak out again, <laughs> being chased by Carl, their giant Rottweiler. Kevin is taking off running. Excuse me. Kevin is walking away with his stuff after being chased by Carl the Rottweiler. And in the distance, Kevin sees the one thing that he's been craving this entire time. McDonald's. He sees the Golden Arches, baby. And he takes off joyously towards those, those Golden Arches. In slow-mo, with this great music, he's just like found his oasis, his salvation. Which is hilarious, because again, product placement. Bam. I was going to say, because this whole time, Gary has had Kevin on this quote-unquote diet that Derek is on. Real life Derek. Kevin is not that. So this whole time, he's barely been eating. So he's kind of starving at this point. Yeah, dude. I mean, honestly. But I mean, something should be having the McDonald's cravings. That's true. That is not a real McDonald's, by the way. That is specifically made... For this movie. There was no McDonald's in that town where they were filming, so they're like, oh, we're going to make a McDonald's. My second favorite part of the scene, after the joyous Sinbad running towards it, like he's running to the love of his life, it's so funny, is that he has made sure to take that suitcase with him. So the suitcase that doesn't belong to him, (laughs) he's like, oh, no, no, let me make sure I get my bag. (laughs) Yeah. Like, what are you going to do with that luggage, man? That's a good point. That doesn't fit him. That is not his. You should just leave that at this point. I was supposed to call him Sinbad. Kevin walks into McDonald's where he is greeted by the most excited employee at McDonald's I've ever seen in my entire life. She's like, hi, may I take your order, please? And he goes, yes, you may. Um, In response, which always made me laugh, just hit her with the equal pettiness. (laughs) Yes, you may. So the mobsters are actually in the town that Kevin's in because, you know, Larry told him. And they're on a payphone, which don't exist anymore, just so <laughs> our young people who listen to this, payphones used to be a thing. There used to be random phones out in public that you would pay money to use. So They're talking to their mobster boss when Joey spots Kevin at the McDonald's, but Nikki's too busy talking to the boss <laughs> and doesn't believe him that Kevin's around. So they get into an argument. They hang up the phone to go looking for Kevin. Kevin walks into a bus station to try to get a bus ticket. However, he only has like a dollar thirty-four and can only get like half a mile up the road. So he's like, fuck that, I'm not going. Let me buy this lottery ticket since I'm here. He makes a bunch of jokes at the dude at the bus counter because he moves very slowly. And I thought it was really funny. I was like, <laughs> like, wait to insult this dude while he's working, Kevin. Uh one small <laughs> plot. 
one small plot point we missed is that inside McDonald's, Kevin saw Steve, S-T-E-3, with another girl making out, not Gary's daughter. Oh, yeah. Scumbag. Steve, You, we knew you were the worst, and you have proved it. Way to be a I dick. tried to erase Steve from my memory I know, and this movie. I know, so. it's smart. But we need Thank it for some for story next time. For later. <laughs> so he buys this lottery ticket. As he walks out, the mobsters slam their Shit. car into, like, I guess those are like newspaper boxes where newspapers mm-hmm. were kept. I don't think they still do that. But and then they chase down Sinbad, excuse me, Kevin <laughs> through an alley. Kevin's running. He still has his bag. He still has his he still has his McDonald's. He's in his mouth. He's jumping over fences with the bag, the McDonald's, just going through white people's backyards to when he runs into Gary's car. Gary's driving his car at a stop sign. And Gary's like, Oh, there you are. So Kevin immediately throws the McDonald's because he's supposed to be a vegetarian right. and it lands in a baby's playpen. He jumps in the car and Gary's like, why are you carrying your luggage? And Sinbad comes up with another, I mean, excuse me, Kevin comes up with another outrageous lie that he's jogging and that helps his cardio, cardiovascular activity rise or some shit. He's I don't know. He's got an excuse for everything, man. Kevin is low-key like goals. He is really clever. Thank on your feet, man. I'll always be having people guessing. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm talking about, but that's what <laughs> Kevin does. So Gary and Kevin head to, I guess, the gift shop of the country club. I don't know. They're buying new clothes for Kevin, and we get this fun mini montage <laughs> of them trying on clothes and dancing together and bonding. <laughs> um, it's it's a, a really funny scene. It's called a pro shop, um, allegedly. Oh, okay. They are wildly overpriced. I'm talking like $150 for a polo shirt. And it's like mm. a flex for men to be like, oh, let's go to the pro shop. And they buy each other presents. Isn't that nice? Wow. That is, <laughs> as a gay man, that is very gay. When I'm expensing golf trips, there's literally probably $1,000 at the pro shop all the time. That's so weird. Just for Why? stuff, what for are you trinkets. Buying other people. They buy golf club, like fancy golf club handle things, golf balls, little tees. They all kinds of presents. <laughs> the more you learn. All right. But yeah, they have a great scene, Sinbad it's really cute. and uh, Phil Hartman in this. They're dancing. I don't know the song, but they're they're bonding, right? For Sinbad sure. comes out dr- dressed as he calls it Fat Albert <laughs> when they go to meet Gary's boss, who's having a drink at the outside bar. We then get a scene of Nikki and Polly walking into the country club. And I guess the country club manager mistakes them as people who are seeking membership. So they go along with it. This actor is the same actor from Salute Your Shorts. You may know him as um, Ugg. Ugly from from that. But that's, this is this actor who worked with it. Randall Miller. He's giving that. me Kenneth Purnell vibes. Is that his name from 30 Rock? Yeah, but that is not Kenneth. No, no, yeah, I know. Yeah. It's just like giving I, me that kind mean. of thing. Back at the outside bar, Gary's boss is obviously drunk, but this is no <laughs> excuse for the microaggressions, the macroaggressions, and the overall just like doucheiness. He's a douche to Gary, and then like to Kevin. Mm-hmm. He does some weird black scent, asking him to slap him a five. And Kevin's rightful response is, how about if I just slap you instead? And there he laughs at that. And then, yeah, it's just, 
gross from here on out. Like, this dude is not a good person. On the golf course, Gary and his racist boss are having a discussion about a new client that he, uh, the boss wants Gary to, like, take over. Apparently, it's like a Beaver Meadows, a yogurt company <laughs> that's, like, moving to town. And Gary's immediately like, oh, my wife has yogurt businesses. I feel like this is a conflict of inf- interest for me. His boss is even more excited. He's like, oh, hell no. This is perfect. You already have insight on the competition, which is fucked up. Super fucked up and unethical. Yeah, I agree. His boss, I would kick him in his balls. Yeah, this guy needs to go. scraping the ground. Yeah, he's got to go. While those two are talking business, we have Ron Timmerman and Kevin teeing up, prepping before they go tee, golf i don't know golf terminology do not ask me when there's a misunderstanding like a comic misunderstanding (laughs) about cleaning balls where ron timberman is obviously talking about golf balls but kevin is thinking he's talking about his actual testicles and so this goes on a lot longer where i'm sure kevin could have picked up but kevin is (laughs) knowing who jeffrey jones is kevin is acting rightfully (laughs) that way do you know what i mean like he's like yes back up let me Um, tell you how as a kid, I would have tears running down my face. I thought this was the funniest scene that had ever been committed to film. Like I laughed <laughs> so hard. This was probably that was probably my favorite scene. Like I thought that was incredibly funny. As they're at a hole that's kind of closer to like where the rest of the country club is. I guess this is the beginning hole, first mm-hmm. hole. Again, don't know golf. Don't <laughs> ask me questions about this. You're lucky you're getting the words whole from me, and that's only because I use that in my personal vernacular. Uh, Kevin spots the mobsters, so he decides to convince the other guys to play a rousing game of speed golf, which is something he just made up, but somehow someone else has heard of and completely like goes on board with it. They start playing speed golf when the mobsters see Kevin, and they ask for a tour of the golf course. Kevin is driving the car as fast as he can to get these men through this course as fast as possible. When, as they're driving the golf cart excessively fast, I'll be honest, racist boss falls out and breaks his tooth. Yes. Karma. He had it coming. That's when Dr. Timmerman decides that he needs emergency surgery and that he wants Kevin to come with him and sit in on it, I guess. So we get a scene of both of them at the office prepping for the surgery. Dr. Timmerman has to leave the office really quickly because his receptionist uh, or hygienist, I don't know what her role is, said that they he was needed. While he's gone, Kevin decides to wash his hands with Novocaine. <laughs> As Kevin's hands are numb from using the Novocaine, <laughs> he continues on with conversation and whatnot with everyone else there and turns out that the guest that is in Dr. Timmerman's office was the real Derek Franklin's actual teacher. Oh, Lord. As well as his class to come and watch how great Derek Franklin is. Which adds a lot of pressure because it's like, (laughs) this dude knows who Derek Franklin is. Says a lot about racism because he didn't realize that this was not Derek Franklin. He just thought that Derek put on some weight, which everyone laughs, laughs at. While we're sitting there, one student asks if we could see Derek Franklin actually perform the surgery. Meanwhile, Derek this evening has numb hands from Novocaine. 
legally he could do it because he's not in his state and he's like breaking up every excuse why he can't do it but they peer pressure him into it when he fumbles his way and actually pulls extracts the tooth from racist boss to everyone's like glee and surprise and they (laughs) clap for him i'm like this didn't seem like surgery Mm -mm. kevin and gary are sitting around i have no idea where the scene (laughs) is but i guess it's somewhere in town but it's it reminds me of like an abandoned train track that you would see in like an 80s movie like stand by me or some shit very much and they're just like talking and like bonding when gary pulls out a big mac and is just like trying to eat it (laughs) they're actually is eating it and kevin can't help himself snatches it out of his hand in desperation and just devour devours it the two men bond because gary's like oh i'm glad you're not like perfect but then they also have a lot in common regardless of just being like two different backgrounds of men and we get another touching bonding scene between the two later we see kevin hanging with the young children as gary is too busy he's got work to do so kevin takes sarah to dance class as well as jason to the park that was his worst mistake ever because that (laughs) carpool that carpool is a hot mess sarah's in the back with two of her friends from ballet class and they're screaming they're teasing Jason. He's getting bullied by his little sisters. I think that's weird. <laughs> like how you get bullied by three little girls, but that's just me. As they're at a light, Kevin, who is driving, sees the mobsters. So he acts proactively. He throws himself on the floor while forcing Jason to get into the driver's seat and drive the car. <laughs> Jason's like, I'm like 12, bro. I can't even reach the pedals. Kevin's like, no problem. I'll push the pedals. You just tell me when. <laughs> Um, and he, so he does this with strangers, children's in the car, like Mama. children <laughs> are full in this car. And he's like, let's just hide from these mobsters. Like Kevin's sense of self-preservation is stronger than stone. I love it. It's quite impressive. <laughs> so they floor it because mobsters start taking out because they've realized that that's the same car that they've been looking for that Kevin was in earlier. So the girls in the back are screaming their heads off. Jason's terrified, like, navigating his car. And they're just, like, on on the sidewalk, hitting stuff. <laughs> the girls are screaming directions. Kevin's still flooring it. And the mobsters are still behind him. This is an epic chase scene with kids. It's hilarious. And then the car pulls over for a bit. When the mobsters get out and walk to see if it's Kevin, Jason sticks his head out. And Polly is like, oh... It's just a kid joyriding. <laughs> he doesn't investigate further. That's none of his business, and I appreciate that. And Kevin gets away. After dropping the girls off at ballet class, Kevin takes Jason to the park so he can play basketball, and he tells him, I'm just going to let you stay here, and I'm going to head back, and I'll come back and pick you up later. When, as he's walking away, he sees older kids bullying Jason on the basketball court. So he decides to go over there, check things out, and he's like, Jason, what's up? What's going on? And they start ridiculing, like, um, both Kevin and Jason. So Kevin's like, you know what? Let's play some basketball. Let's play two against five. Whoa. Let's make some stakes. I'll give you this car if I lose. (laughs) If you lose, we get your clothes. Jason's like, dude, I suck. We are not playing this. That is my dad's car. You can't put this on me. Let's not do this because this is a bad idea. Kevin gives a rousing speech to Jason. He's like, dude, I've watched you play. You got it. You just got to believe in yourself. You can't 
if there's one thing Kevin's good for, it's believing in himself. That's you know what, what I'm mean? saying. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He is confident. Like, yep. Emily was not wrong. He is not insecure one bit in himself. He is very confident. I mean, you have to be fairly confident to pull a grift on an entire family for <laughs> yeah. several days. Yeah. Pretty confident. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. So he instills some of that confidence in Jason. And another montage scene. There's, If there's anything about the movie Houseguest, <laughs> you're getting a montage and you're getting a chaotic screaming scene from a bunch of people. That's all I'm saying. They play basketball, and it's Jason and Kevin versus the bullies, nameless five bullies. <laughs> Kevin decides to play a little dirty with them, which I think is hilarious. Me too. He checks the ball in the face of one of the bullies <laughs> and then uses that same maneuver to scare the rest of them. And then you just get the scene of him just like him and Jason, honestly, <laughs> shooting threes, scoring a bunch of points, knocking shit out. Where um, Sinbad is guarding all five kids. Like, he just has his arms out. <laughs> It's like, come on, Jason. <laughs> like, watching Sinbad dominate a sporting event with children is funny. Yeah, absolutely. Sinbad's huge, though, too. I think he's like 6'3". <laughs> yeah, he's a tall guy. So, obviously, Kevin and Jason win, so they win all the clothes of the bullies, <laughs> and they're all in their boxer shorts on the court, shivering in the middle of summer. <laughs> um, spring, summer, I don't know. It's Memorial Day weekend. Later, Larry is going through it on the phone with Kevin when he's confronted by that biker from earlier who is not happy with the tattoo work that Larry did. He got a shitty tattoo. We hear Larry hang up, and then we also hear Gary talking to Kevin as Brooke and Emily fight. Mm. Teenage drama, you know what I mean, Mm. man? Like, Gary's like, what did you say to her? And Emily's like, I didn't say anything to her. I just was a, I was around, and she's upset. <laughs> and Brooke said some weird stuff about like poetry and death and very gothic Lydia Dietz type very stuff, much, which I appreciate. Yeah, she's going through it. Yeah. When when Emily is like, Hey, Kevin, I know this is an imposition, but you have a special relationship with our children <laughs> that you've known for two days. Literally Could you talk to her? 22 hours. Could you please go deal with my bitch of a daughter? Thank you. We don't want to. And you're here. Excuse me, Mr. Blackman. We're letting you live in our house for a few days. Go help our children. Hey, Sinbad, could you Mr. Belvedere this? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Belvedere. Um, so Kevin goes up to Brooke's room where she's up there, she's sad, and he's like trying to crack jokes, and she reveals that Steve is cheating on her with another girl. Yeah. Kevin definitely knows this already, because again, <laughs> at McDonald's, he saw this with his own eyes. So he's trying to build her up. I mean, he's telling her the truth. He's like, you're really beautiful. That Steve dude's a slime bag. You don't need anything to do with him. Like, you be you. Here's some, here's some great advice. Um... This is a trope, kind of. This whole movie is kind of a yeah. trope uh, for <laughs> black cinema. This is called like the magical Negro, and essentially mm-hmm. like, he has like all. The, anyways, after having to deal with these people's kids and taking care of their lives, Kevin's like, "I gotta get the fuck yeah. out of here. I can't do this anymore." Uh, but first, before he leaves, he decides, "I'm gonna just scratch this lottery ticket off that I bought um, earlier," and he has won. Like yeah. Kevin has won the lottery. He's one big. He's about to be on TV. He's about to get to spin this wheel at a chance to win more money. 
he is just super fucking excited. That's when Gary comes in and interrupts Kevin. And he's like, hey, I know you mean a lot to our family. And I want to let you know that because you've been helping us out a lot. When we hear knock at the family's door, Sarah, the youngest of the youngs, opens the door. And the mobsters ask Sarah if a black man named Kevin lives there. And Sarah's like, no, bitch, I don't know you. And slams the (laughs) door. Good girl. Good girl, right? They knock again angrily, and she opens it again. And Sarah's like, didn't I tell you not to knock on this goddamn door? And essentially sicks her dog, Carl, on these people as they home improvement their way off the porch, falling on fucking skateboards and shit. But not until after Sarah pulls their fucking gun. She reaches into Polly's waist and grabs his gun, which has a silencer on it, and points the gun at the adults before sticking, before sicking Carl the dog on them. Like, Sarah's, wow. (laughs) Yeah, Sarah, it's alarming that she Mm -hmm. went straight for the gun. And and rightfully, they were terrified. They're like, what the fuck? That's when Kevin comes in after the dog chases the way the bad guys, and he takes the gun for Sarah, puts it in the dishwasher, which fires it, and he and Sarah pretend to watch a movie. (laughs) When the family hears that, they're like, what was that? Oh, he's like, oh, it's just TV. And they're cool with it, never brought up again, even though there should be a hole in the dishwasher. Uh, And then Sarah and Kevin have like a little conversation about Sarah being able to keep a secret that his name is Kevin. And she won't tell anybody because she's good at keeping secrets. And then she proceeds to call him Kevin right after that in front of him. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. Sarah's, I would have Sarah on my team because she pulled a gun. That was the first thing she went with. Uh, Sarah is capital D down. <laughs> like, <laughs> she's ready to roll. What was uh, Madeline Zima's character? Kate. She gives me major Kate from Mr. Nanny vibes. Like, don't let <laughs> Kate and Sarah meet. Because, like, the world will end. (laughs) Not Mr. Nanny. I forgot about (laughs) we doing that. This is when Larry comes and picks up Kevin. They're driving away, and Kevin kind of has, like, a realization after he sees a statue of Poseidon that he saw in the beginning of the movie when he and Larry were orphan children on a field trip. He's like, I can't leave this family, man. I've been lying to this little girl. I've helped his family. They've been nothing but nice to me. I can't just, like, up and leave. And Larry's like, yeah, actually, you can, motherfucker. (laughs) The mob's after you. You don't know these people. And Derek decides to head back. I said Derek. Kevin decides to head back (laughs) when we meet the real Derek back in Baltimore, who has his assistant come in on her day off to print out articles about him. Get bent. Uh, this was before a Google search alert, so <laughs> that was weird. He finds an article about his speech at the at the high school that he did not actually go to, <laughs> and it said it was a picture of another man with his name, and they called him the hip hop dentist, which I was like, what the fuck? Racist. 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 Racist headline. Okay, I thought so. Because there was no hip-hop. What are no, you talking about? The, the only clothes? indication of hip-hop is that he is a black person. Like, that's the only, <laughs> like, nice try. That's racist. You're being racist, newspaper. <laughs> we cut to ST3, Steve, with his new white girlfriend, Kelly. When Kevin walks in and convinces Steve <laughs> to leave to find more honeys in their own little personal, like, uh, 
vernacular skills with one another. And Steve and he get into Steve's Jeep. That was a weird sentence. Why did I word it like that? <laughs> they get into Steve's Jeep and Kevin's driving. And they're just like chatting it up when Kevin decides to take the Jeep off road onto a train track as a moving train's coming. And tell Steve, essentially, like, get your shit together. You're not going to treat Brooke like this. But in a very nice way. Like, he's yeah. never, like, he never raises his voice. But he definitely makes it known that to Steve that uh, he has to do the right thing. When Steve thinks they're about to die as a train is on, oncoming, about to approach, it switches over to the other tracks. I want to know, how did Kevin know this train schedule? He didn't. He sure didn't. <laughs> also, Randall Miller, why do you like filming train tracks? He's obsessed tra- with train tracks. I was just thinking the same thing. I, it's something to look into. Just saying. After this, Kevin has more heart-to-hearts that he has to do. So he goes and finds Gary at work. He's like, yo, Gary... You're treating your family all kinds of wrong. They need you back at home, man. You can't You can't just be going to work. All this shit that you're doing, you're ignoring your kids. I'm raising your kids, and I've only known them for two days. <laughs> Emily, you're about to, like, fuck your wife over with this deal at work, and she is going to find out, which is only going to cause problems. And, yeah, duh, motherfucker. Duh. How long do you think you can hide that secret? For real. That's grounds for divorce, I feel like, personally. What, well, and she's, I feel like this whole relationship is teetering on the edge. Like, we've kind of yada yada over other scenes where they're fighting. Like, we really get the message that Gary and Emily, are their relationship is bad. And this might be the straw that yeah. breaks Camel's back. A hundred percent. I mean, they've been fighting about non-issues the entire movie. Yeah. But this is an issue, I think. <laughs> yeah, it is. Gary hears him. He's like, you're right. And they get up, and they go to Emily's store where she's having a meeting and then serendipitously, they run into Gary's racist boss, whose wife is also the teacher from the school earlier. Oh, okay. Small, small town. Um, but they re- meet racist boss, and Gary's like, "What are you doing here?" And he's like, "Oh, came to check out the competition." <laughs> and says a joke. <laughs> Gary loses it. Gary takes his uh, boss's frozen yogurt, smashes it in his face, and tells him to go fuck off. Essentially, it's he's satisfying. Been treating Gary like a. Yeah, he's like, you've been treating me like an asshole for too many years, and I don't give a fuck anymore. Um, That turns Emily on. He's like, (laughs) Gary, I'm happy to see you stand up for yourself. And from then on out, the relationship's a little better. (laughs) Do you think that? Do you think that's realistic? I think it's a little realistic. I think it's a momentary problem. Like, this is a... I don't know if this is going to solve everything. Like, their house seems pretty fat. Like, did they rely on Gary's income? I don't know. But I love a dramatic, I quit, take this job and shove it moment, you know? Yeah, me too. <laughs> I do that a lot. Hot. Back at the house, the young family, Gary, or excuse me, back at the house, Gary, Emily, and Kevin head back, and we find that the mobsters are inside the young family's house with a hostage who oh, turned out to be the real Derek. Gary doesn't realize it. He's having a conversation with his kids, telling them how much he loves them, and they're like, yo, Dad, read the room. And then Gary (laughs) is like, oh, shit. Yeah, there's guns in here. This is crazy. (laughs) When the whole scheme unravels, the mobsters reveal things, Derek reveals things, Kevin reveals things, and Gary is hurt. Gary is upset about this. He's like, how the fuck could you lie to me? We took you in. I mean, he worked for you guys let's be fucking honest (laughs) 
you kind of you owe him money. To be honest. Furthermore, you also you invited him city. in. You know, vampire rules. Some of this blame is on you. Ah, <laughs> vampire rules. <laughs> so the mobsters take Kevin and leave. Everyone says their goodbyes, and they're all kind of sad because they, regardless if Kevin had been lying about being Derek, what their interactions were with him were real to mm-hmm. them. Like he still did all those things. Derek or Kevin it doesn't matter. And they do realize that the actual Derek is an asshole. Total so asshole. So with that realization, yeah, they jump in the car and they go after the mobsters with Derek in it. Or excuse me, they go after the mobsters after Kevin. While in the car, Polly orders Joey to shoot Kevin. He's like, just shoot him. Uh. Um, Polly's like, or excuse me, Joey's like, it's going to get the car dirty. Polly's like, I don't give a fuck. While they're arguing, because they argue the whole movies, <laughs> they're brothers, Kevin takes the moment in chaos to jump out the car. Yeah. He jumps out the car, rolls, and somehow gets into the 5K that he was already <laughs> signed up for. And Gary jumps out of his car, runs up to Kevin, and they both begin running. I guess they had already signed up for it because they got numbers. Like one of the hosts of the event, he's like, hey, you can't run without your numbers. But they had already been signed up for it. I never really thought about that. So they were ready. Yeah, so they were doing what they were told. As they're running from the mobsters and running a 5K, they talk through their differences. Talk about multitasking. (laughs) They take a shortcut into a backyard that's having a barbecue that allegedly Gary knows the people and they're just like chit chatting (laughs) as they're eating up trying not to get murdered and then they take a shortcut and they cut in front of Ron Timmerman throughout this entire thing Ron Timmerman has been cheating he's been claiming (laughs) to be an athlete this entire movie and how he's training for a a race which is just a 5k at a school but as he's running he's been like pushing people he's been cutting people off he's been hurting people so he's upset when Kevin and Gary cut in front of him, quote-unquote, cheating. Just throwing that out there. Kevin and Gary end up actually winning the race. And as they've won and they're leaving, they literally run into the mobsters. Like, run into the mobsters trying to get away. Um, the mobsters are, like, on their phone. And they grab Kevin. They're like, Kevin, you're coming with us. We're about to do what we're about to do with you. And Gary's like, Kevin, we talked about this give it up and he gives the winning lottery ticket to the mobsters and they take that for their his debt Jeez. which i'm like really that's wild why would they want that i have no idea we then quick cut to six months and four days later kevin and larry are pulling up in a porsche <laughs> oh. bought with the money that kevin got from his best-selling book in the house, a handbook for house guests. This is around Christmas time. Kevin's living large. He said everything he had always said. He manifested. Yeah, he did. <coughs> Sorry. It's okay. He manifested. Kevin and Larry walk up to the Young's door, and the Young lovingly greet Kevin. And it's like they haven't seen him in a long time. He's an old friend. And they're having a Christmas party. Man, I'm telling you, the Youngs love a party. And they're celebrating hard. Kevin's in there. And Kevin walks in on people watching TV. He's like, what is going on? And it's the lottery. It's the mobsters 
with the ticket on the show that Kevin was supposed to be on to win a million dollars. So apparently with this ticket thing, it's like you get a ticket, you win, you probably get a certain amount, but you have the option to win more money on TV by winning, spinning a wheel. And that's what's happening. The mobsters spin the wheel and it lands on $1 million for a brief moment and then moves to, I think, bankrupt. Yep. And they lose their money. Everyone is like in disbelief because they were cheering at first when it was the $1 million, but now it's like, oh, they lost it. Kevin is excited. Kevin he is, is elated. Like he could be happier. He is taking such joy in this. It is hilarious. I appreciate that because, yes, Kevin, Me that's too. exactly what you do. The next scene, we see Carl drinking spiked eggnog. Carl's the Rottweiler. <laughs> this is a dog drinking eggnog. Hilarious stuff here, people. Gary calls Kevin to come outside with him so they can grill some burgers. This is a great scene. It's really They're sweet. grilling burgers, and they're parodying Christmas songs with food lyrics. This is all <laughs> improvised. And Sinbad calls Phil Hartman Phil in this, and Phil Hartman calls Sinbad Sinbad in this. Like, they drop character, and they're just, like, making up songs together. It's and really it's sweet. it's one of my favorite scenes, and it ends the movie on that. It's really satisfying. Yeah, they became real friends. Phil Hartman and Sinbad have excellent chemistry together. Like, they're really funny together. They're funny together the whole time. And even with Phil Hartman sort of playing the straight guy, they're still really funny. Like, that dance montage at the pro shop is really cute. Like, they have really good chemistry. 100%. I I wish they would have been friends afterwards. So that's the movie House Guest. It was a moderate success. And by moderate, I think you and I probably gave a lot of money from watching sure. it on HBO to sure. the studios because that's the only way I think people <laughs> no offense to that I think it's a great movie mentioned earlier in the episode this movie premiered at number three the top box office spot belonged to Dumb and Dumber movie number two was Disclosure have you oh, ever seen Disclosure? I have seen Disclosure I've never heard of it until today. So. Oh, really? It was like sexy yeah. to me more. I think Michael Douglas is the dude in it. It's fine. Here's the spoiler alert, kids. Dumb and Dumber and Disclosure are not as good as House Guest. I said it. <laughs> Man. Well, House Guest only grows $26 million in North America. I think it took like $10 million to make. Yeah. So, I mean. Not a bad They return. made their profit, but yeah. it wasn't like, yeah, it wasn't like a hit. It wasn't a hit, but Sinbad still had that deal with Disney. Right. So he actually went on to go make um, First Kid, which was a great movie, great like a movie. Disney vehicle for him, and a few other movies as well. He did one more movie with Phil Hartman, which would be their third total together, Jingle All the Way. They didn't share any scenes in that either, but they were still in the movie together. And they were both excellent. Sinbad is the highlight yeah. of Jingle All the Way for me. Jingle All the Way was going to be our Christmas episode for a bit. And if you guys are interested in it, let, let us know. know. We'll do it. A little bit about Mr. Sinbad's personal life. He has worked consistently for... Since he's been on the scene, to be perfectly yeah. honest with you. There has been like a couple of times where he's taken a few years off for breaks for like health reasons and stuff like that. The one most recently has been t- from 2020. He had a stroke. Yeah. But I still think he was working. Because he was on like a comedy series uh, called Rel... He was doing voiceover. He's yep. done so many fucking commercials. I know. Or, excuse me, cartoons and stuff. He was on Steven Universe. Yep. Sinbad works. Yep. Like, 
I remember there's like a joke or something like that where they were like making fun of Sinbad. Like, where is he now? I'm like, Sinbad has been working, girl. Yeah. He did voices on American Dad. He did episodes of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Like, Sinbad ain't hard up for a job. Sure not. He has been married twice, which is very interesting. He was married in 1986. They divorced in 1992. They remarried oh. in 2002. And are still together to this oh, day. He and his stop wife. stop it. I love that. Yeah, that's wild. They took a 10-year break. Sometimes they have two children together. <laughs> um, I guess, man. They were like, let's get back together. They had two children together, Royce and Paige, who both work in the industry. Cute. Royce is a sound editor, and Paige is an actress and set designer from I what I that. gathered on IMDb. Yeah. You know, keeping a family. And uh, just kind of tie it all together. I know it's not a lot to talk about this episode, but we talked a lot, a little bit about the director kind of drama, the mm-hmm. controversy surrounding that. Sinbad's known for a little bit of controversy as well. Like, there's some drama surrounding him. Mm-hmm. Sinbad is a victim of the Mandela effect. We talked about this episode. Or excuse me, we talked about this before on a mini episode, I think. Mm -hmm. The Mandela effect is a false memory that is sometimes shared by multiple people, but the phenomenon was dubbed so the Mandela effect because a paranormal researcher reported having vivid and detailed memories of news coverage of South African anti-apartheid leader Nelson Mandela dying in prison in the 1980s. That did not happen. No. But lots of people believe that. There's been several instances of the Mandela effect, like um, the Berenstein Bears versus the Berenstain Bears, which which is real. Mr. Mm-hmm. Peanuts, like, does he have a monocle or does he not? <laughs> Sinbad's controversial Mandela effect is actually a movie that never existed. <laughs> it's called, or believed to be called, Shazam? No, Kazam, one of those. It is thought to be like a movie where Sinbad is a genie alongside some kids who find him in an attic or some shit like that, <laughs> which is a plausible 90s movie, in my yeah. opinion. However, I think that's the movie people get mixed up with Shaq mm-hmm. in it. And it Sinbad has worn kind of like genie-like clothing before, I guess. Like he always wore an earring and his name is Sinbad. So there may be like some brain thing where people confuse the two. But Sinbad has gone as far as parodying this Mandela effect because it's so popular. College Humor, a few years back, filmed this quote-unquote lost <laughs> movie with Sinbad and the children. It was pretty funny, but it's also like, yeah, people really believe that there was a Sinbad really genie do. movie and it never existed. They really do. What if in a parallel universe that movie did exist? I'm sure there are people who um, use that exact explanation to explain Mandela effect things. They're like, oh no, no, it's not a false memory. It's just like an overlay of different dimensions or different, like, it maybe it did happen. It's just bled from another timeline into this timeline. Uh, I believe that. Could be. I'd like to think that I can travel the multiverse. I may be <laughs> this universe's uh, Scarlet Witch. I don't know yet. Still trying to figure Ooh, that out. Let me know. I'll That'd give be you exciting. updates. It may be real. Might be. <laughs> Thank you all for tuning in. And if you have any questions, suggestions, or embarrassing confessions, please send us an email at thewaybackrecap at gmail.com. That's thewaybackrecap at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at thewaybackrecappod. If you'd like to support the show, 
or listen to bonus content, exclusive episodes, visit our Patreon page. Our original cover art is by Laura Strobish. Uh, remember, wherever you listen to podcasts, follow or subscribe to the Wayback Recap. If you enjoy yourself, please rate and review the show. But if that's too much... We totally get it. Tell a friend. Preferably a responsible friend who will rate and review the show. And join us next time. I'm Brandon. And I'm Patricia. And on behalf of the Wayback Recap, take, take care, care of each, each other, other y'all. y'all.